Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Garden Better. I'm gardener and horticulturalist Adam Woodhams, and with me is keen gardener, horticulturalist, and Better Homes and Gardens garden editor, Jenny Dillon. Hi, Adam. How are you? I'm fantastic. Hey, look, it's that time of year where I reckon we need to have a little bit of a chat about garden gifts. And I think one of the best ways to talk about garden gifts is to think about them from the point of view of our favourite tools. I guess the thing is, when we start to talk about garden tools, it's an enormous range, isn't it? So we're looking at everything from hand trowels to power tools, and they're all part of the garden kit. You know, they're all part mm-hmm. of that that collective of things that we call the garden tools. And in fact, that's a question in itself. Would we even need garden sheds if we didn't have collections of tools? I don't have a garden shed. Good grief, Jen. (laughs) You know what my favourite tool is in the garden? I'll tell you what it is. And this is going to be really hard to to cater for at Christmas time. It's my hands. Your hands. My hands. Gardening is tactile. You use it to feel plants, use it to weed. It's so much of my gardening is done. By well, hand. it's it, it's true. I, I do agree with you there that that gardeners we are very very handsy people, but not in that sense handsy. <laughs> in, in handsy with soil and plants. You know, you, you you're right. Like you know, if I'm if I'm doing something with Look a plant, at my nails. <laughs> if I'm doing something with a plant, I, I will often get my hands in around the root ball, and I'll be feeling where the roots are and mm. what's happening, and and I'll do that if I'm lifting something small or large. I'll I'll do it by hand rather than necessarily doing it you know, with, with tools to lever it out of the ground. But the fact is we do need tools for something. You can't, you can't, unless you have very, very particular manicure, you're not going to be able to prune your roses very well. No. So secateurs is, is an essential one. Yeah, I reckon secateurs, 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 pruners, as they often get called now, um, they are one of the, uh, the absolute essentials. And this is an interesting point when you, when you come to, buy a pair of secateurs or if you're going to gift a pair of secateurs, I reckon they're actually one of the most intimate of the garden tools. Yeah, so I don't I don't recommend you buy gardener secateurs, secateurs. Mm, mm. I to me, you know, that's akin to buying a chef a set of knives. Mm, you have no idea what they need. And you know, quality is important, all these things. It's and it's it's to do with how they feel in your hand. Yeah. You know, that the, the the ergonomics of them is incredibly important because you can be using secateurs for an extended period of time. It's as simple as that. Mm. Um it's it's fascinating. I used to um, manage in retail nursery and the hardware department of one of the nurseries, we were known for our collection of tools. And we had a very, very wide selection of, of secateurs from just budget models through to the absolute top shelf worth, you know, $150 plus. And some people would come in and they wanted the expensive ones just because they wanted the expensive ones. Oh. And I'd say, no, 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 look, you've got to do this. Hold your hand out. I'd open the secateurs, pop them open, 
put them in their hand. And the first thing you had to do was check that somebody could, with an open hand, they could pull those secateurs closed. Because if you've got to bring your second hand into play, if you're fighting the spring the entire time, they're actually useless. They need to be able to go all the way open. And And then they need to feel comfortable. Yeah, Yeah. but also the design sometimes, you you have that little clip where it locks. Mm. Sometimes it's in the wrong place. Yes, yes. It might look pretty. But it doesn't fit your hand. No, well, that's right. I've, I've. There's a particular brand of very expensive secateurs that, that although extremely good, and I do now own a pair of them. My one complaint is I hate where the catch is. I yeah. can't with. I don't know if it's the size of my thumb or whatever, but I can never bring the the catch in without using my my second hand, which I find quite annoying. That's really you, annoying. You want to just mm. be able to clip them and put them away. So the the takeaway from that is secateurs. Probably not the best thing to be buying people. Now, on on saying that too, some people, there was people I knew wanted to buy expensive secretaries, but they never bought them. And do you know why? Why? They were chronic tool losers. Ah, yes, yeah. well, I am too. They, yeah. they, they knew that if they had a $100 pair of secretaries, months time, pff, they're going to be lost somewhere underneath the leaf litter. Mm-hmm. So they, they only ever bought cheap secretaries because they were effectively buying them as throwaways. So do think about, as you said, your usage and all that sort of thing, because that is very important in in how you actually select hand tools. So let's say we don't buy secateurs for somebody. You give them maybe a gift voucher for for secateurs. Oh, that is my favourite gift of Mm. all times is a gift voucher from a major hardware store or nursery I just get so excited it lets people do their own thing doesn't yeah. it yeah yeah and then there's it's, I reckon the the classic hand tools I still I like heirloom quality as I call it and that's the sort of that's the sort of stuff that you get to keep for a long time mm-hmm. I still have my grandmother's secretaries and I still have my grandmother's hedging shears oh. and she passed away 25 years ago wow. and she was 90 when she passed away and she was a keen gardener. So, you know, they were amazing quality. So look for that quality if you can find it. And you can find it in hand tools. And by that I'm talking about the trowels and the the hand forks. And mm-hmm. to me, they're sort of like your next thing that are that are critical in your in your garden kit. And there's lots of little things too, though. If you want a stocking stuffer for gardeners. Ah, I'm the one. Yeah, lots and lots of bits. Well, gloves, you can never mm. have enough gloves and different types of gloves as well. So if you want to buy, you know, if you've got lots of um, roses, then you'd need perhaps gloves that go up to your elbows. Yeah, the long gauntlet gloves, which mm-hmm. are perfect for pruning anything anything prickly and or irritating. do you know irritating, what I have found irritating? so difficult to find recently? I've got knee pads. I, they're so glamorous, I tell you what, when I'm in my shorts <laughs> and these things around my knees. But you just can't I, – I don't know where to find them. These ones have been worn ragged and mm. the, the, the Velcro is all worn away. But knee pads, anyone out there, tell me where I can get some decent knee pads. I can tell you, you might have to look in the tradie section because they're they're like tradesmen's knee pads. Yeah, but they're those big, thick plastic things. Yeah, they look kind of like skating knee pads. No, no, I just want the little soft ones. But knee pads are really important when you're eating. I I use, I don't find those big ones particularly comfortable. So I use a kneeling pad, you know, one of those those high-density foam things. I find those quite useful, except I, I tend to sort of like use it and then wander away and think, yeah. where'd I leave it? And then you're kneeling down and you kind of defeat the whole purpose. That's right. So, but there are lots of nice little stuff, stocking stuffers like that. And there's another one is um, a little, say, some a flat ball, not not a ball, but a flat pack of, of twine mm, and cutters mm. because you're wandering around and this little bit of creeper has come astray or whatever. And if you can put it in your pocket with a cutter, 
small, just immediately it fix up the problem. Mm. Well, there's some great little uh, garden snips. I actually tend to have two pairs of, um, I have my secateurs and a pair of garden snips with me when I'm in the garden. And the garden snips are like little scissors and they, they get called things like floral snips. But I find them really useful for cutting twine and budding tape, which is mm. the one you use for tying plants up against stakes, uh, smaller yeah. plants against stakes. But that, that that old-fashioned twine, I reckon that's, you can actually find that packaged in some really nice ways, which make a really a really cool gardener's mm. gift and a stocking stuffer. But I like that twine in the garden because it does break down over time. So rather than sort of ending up with this horrible plasticky stuff that doesn't seem to break down, it it naturally breaks down or the birds nick it or something like that. And by yeah. that stage, that stem has become firm enough to be holding yes. in place at any rate. So, so what do you reckon? Have you got a couple of suggestions for, for people that are shopping for gifts for their favourite gardener? I'd like a really good tool belt. Mm, mm. You can repurpose a tradies tool belt, you know, the the classic carpenter's tool belt, because they come in lots of varieties. I've mm. got I've got a big super duper one I use when I am doing building stuff, which has got, you know, pockets for the Batman utility belt for just about everything. Yeah. But then you can get ones that are just basically a pouch and a couple of little hanging hooks, and they are fantastic for gardening. I, have you seen the ones where um it's actually like a little jacket for a bucket and it slips over the top of a bucket and it's got little pouches and things all around the side. So no. you carry around your bucket and that's where you put your weeds I was trying to imagine into. it for a moment. Yeah. yeah. No, it's really clever. You 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 can put all your weeds and things as you're going around yeah. into, into the bucket and then all your tools just go in the little pouches around the side. It's a good idea. Mm. So yeah. there's lots of stuff out there. Get into, the, get into your local nursery, have a poke around and you can find some wonderful gifts for gardeners. But maybe, as we said, avoid the secateurs. Yes. Well, Jen, it is the time to be dressing the halls and all of that stuff. But in many regions, I reckon you will find that holly is in short supply. Yes. <laughs> Particularly in the great land of Oz. Live holly, at any rate. There's now, a couple of grevilleas that look like holly. Yeah, there's a couple that do. But, but it's not quite the it's same. Not, not holly, really, oh. is it? Now, I reckon we should have a look at some of the the classic and more unusual plants that are good ones that people can be using for celebrating the warm season. You cannot go anywhere into any nursery or plant cellar or florist at this time of year without finding loads and loads of vibrant, colourful, gift-wrapped poinsettias, can you? It's such a horrible thing. Those poor little flowers, they've spent all the past couple of months pretending it's winter. And that is the point. I'm glad you raised that because poinsettias are a winter flowering plant. So here they are in the middle of summer, the poor little things, they it's just wrong. Yep, the growers convince them it's winter and they get them looking perfect and then they stick them out in the middle of a hot nursery and we take them home and then wonder why they look sad for the next two months. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> and then, of course, if you plant them in the garden later on, you're wondering, why is it flowering in the, in middle, the middle of, of winter? winter? That's exactly right. Mm. And people probably don't realise too because they look very tropically, but they're actually normally from dryish region, regions of Mexico. Yes. Yeah, yeah. which is, I, I think, quite interesting. And, yep. Yeah, the toxicity. Now, this is one thing I often hear people say, oh, I won't have poinsettias in my house because they're really toxic. Well, so are most plants. It's actually – well, that that's a very interesting conversation that I think – I reckon we need to put a 
sticky note on that one to talk about sometime in the future. Okay. But there's quite an urban myth about, about poinsettias. And I think it relates to the fact that people have this immediate thing. They see that milky sap, that mm. white sap, and they assume, ooh, must be poisonous because it's this milky white sap. The fact is, yes, some people might react to it, but the vast majority of people do not have any sort of reaction to those plants. Yes, they might be toxic if you ate an enormous amount of them, but they taste terrible. Awful. You're not going to eat them. In fact, there was a there was a, a famous grower in America, and I think it was, I can't remember the name of the company, but they were the largest growers of poinsettias in America. And people always used to ask that when they had tours. They'd say, oh, but they're poisonous and we don't want to have them at our place. And he'd say, no, they're not. And he'd grab a handful of leaves and start chewing on them to prove the point. So they really, look, they're, they're not, as with any plants, use a bit of caution, but but reality is you're unlikely to have any issues. But they're, they're pretty easy to care for once you get them home. You know, good light, not direct scorching sun because they have been grown in a in a um, artificial a, a environment. artificial environment. Mm. Exactly, yeah. But one of the big things is to keep them away from air conditioning vents. Not because they don't necessarily like those cool conditions, but it can that constant movement of cold air can scorch the the foliage. And yes. that is true of any indoor plants. That's one of the, the big tips with them. And they like to be moist but not wet. And actually, although logic tells you, oh, I better liquid feed them every now and then, you don't particularly want to because that's going to encourage foliage growth as opposed to maintaining those flowers. And mm. Important, I think, for us to point out what the flowers actually are on these plants. Those little it? tiny white dots in the middle. That's it. They're tiny, tiny, tiny little things in the centre and those big colourful parts are in fact called bracts. Yes. So they're a modified a modified part of the plant and it's designed to basically say to insects, come here, look in the centre, you'll find something to eat if you follow the target lines. Mm. So you're not actually looking at, at flowers when you see those bright bits. Now, what about potted Christmas trees? Love, hate, where do you stand on them? Um, either way, I mm. think if actually if you go out and buy the latest edition of Better Homes and Gardens. I've got a whole feature on potted Christmas trees. Ah, very good. And there are just some absolutely stunning varieties mm. of trees. And with a bit of careful planning, they can grow into the most spectacular specimen mm. trees. I, I, and I think that's a good point. It, it, they're it's much more environmentally friendly because you're not buying a cut tree and throwing it away into landfill at the end of at the end of the Christmas period. If you have somewhere where you, if you want to keep it in a pot, a lot of these They'll stay in a Christmas pot for a trees can of stay in a pot for a couple of years. That's yeah. right. So you can get very good value out of them, but you will need somewhere at home where you can care for them at the right spot and then you bring them inside come Christmas time. But otherwise, as you said, a lot of them are, are gorgeous specimens in the ground as, as long as you have the and right And then you can have your Christmas conditions. tree outside. Yes. And you yeah. can cover it with fairy lights. You can. <laughs> Coloured fairy lights. <laughs> We could change our spotlights to be red and white for Christmas, Jim, with some green thrown in there as well. You'd love that. Stop it. I'll come round and reprogram yours for you if oh. you'd like. <laughs> Actually, I, I don't have a Christmas tree. Well, I do. It's about um, 10 centimetres high plastic blower. Oh, very good. That's yes, it. I haven't I like used it. it for about 10 years. Yes. And so you can just fold that up and stick it in a drawer. That's I handy. Know, I don't know where it is. <laughs> I'll buy you one for Christmas. Oh, no, it's all right. <laughs> hey, what about some Aussie flavour? Because there are actually some very good Australian native things you can use for celebrating Christmas. Yes. I, I tell you what, Australian Christmas trees and shrubs are just 
so underrated and they are so magnificent. Mm. Well, it's it's interesting when you look at it. It's if you wanted something that's just a Christmas tree, traditional cone shape, you can in fact get lily pillies yes. pruned, pruned into them. a mm. conical shape. And they're gorgeous. You can keep them alive in pots for a long, 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 long time and, and just reuse them. And the trick there is just to just to reprune them. It's interesting though, when you start to talk about the different Christmas bushes or Christmas trees. Mm. Each state seems to have its own version, which no. gets really confusing because New South Wales has got the Christmas bush, which which is the Cerapetalum <coughs> gamiferum. That's yeah. the classic Christmas bush that has the, the colourful bracts that start yeah. with a, a pinky colour, go white, or is it the other way around? I always forget. Um, but you offer they're fantastic that, as a cut flower. I was just going to say yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. But if you get them as a cut flower, please make sure you only buy them from a reputable um, outlet of some sort because there are people go into the bush and yes. cut them and, and, and then sell not, them by the roadside. Right. So please don't do that. But if you're in Victoria, they actually have one of the mint bushes, a prostanthera, mm. is what they call their their Christmas bush, and mm. that one has white, pink, or mauve flowers. And it's perfect for Christmas, Christmas roast, yeah. lamb roast, and mint I, flower. I, I have to say, this is one of those strange things. I love the smell of the leaves of prostanthera. Mm. Some people will go, "Oh, it's horrible," and uh, I actually I quite like it. They're very pungent. But then South Australia and Tassie, they have uh, Bessaria, Mm -hmm. um, which is covered in masses of tiny white flowers. Little stars. Yeah, little starry, starry, snowy flowers Mm. all over. Um, WA has a Nutsia, which is covered in bright yellow flowers, which is WA always likes to do things different. It's mistletoe. It's one of the largest mistletoes in the world. Yes, that's right. It is too, isn't it? Yes, there's been, they've attempted to get them to grow as a commercial plant, but they can't quite work out how to make it happen, can yeah. they? It's a, a rather unusual So head thing. out into the bush, pick some mistletoe if you're yeah. allowed. <laughs> if you're in a legally in allowed area, of course, we would never encourage people to go poaching plants from a national and then, park or something. And then you could all start kissing under it. Yes. That's, <laughs> or anywhere you'd like for that matter if you feel so inclined. Hey, and then up in Queensland, we have the most beautiful. Go on, tell us. Yeah, it's an orchid. I know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we do do things a bit differently up there and it has a gorgeous spike of white flowers. So it's it's a wonderful, wonderful, different thing. Do you know what I think they look like? They look like floating angels. Mm, mm, Absolutely, yeah. I hadn't thought of that that point of view, but you're very much, very much right, yeah. And um, I reckon two underrated ones which used to be very, very prolific in the bush, but they seem to have disappeared these days. I think because people used to harvest them so much at Christmas time, is the bland fortias, which is a terribly bland name. Yes. Um, but they're a beautiful lily. And there's Blandfordia nobilis and and Grandiflora and they flower around Christmas time. They often. do. But you know what? I think that's why they're not so popular these days is because the rest of the year, they just look like little tufts of grass. Yeah, or they, weed. Do, they do. They look very much like a, a, one of the Aussie native grasses, like a lamandra or something like yeah, but that. But tinier, much but tinier. Than, and they're, they're so they, they are they are gorgeous, but they, you don't see them in the bush as much. And I think because they've been they've been cut out so much by people, oh, that's a shame. which is very mm. very sad, very mm. sad. But and in my research, I have to say, Northern Territory and the ACT, come no. on. You're letting the team down, guys. Get your act together. You haven't got a native plan named for Christmas. No. And if there is one, if there is a local one, because there might be something up there in the Northern Territory that they're not you know telling what? us about, you send us an email and tell us about it. But I've asked them. Have you? Yes. Okay. I went to the Botanic Gardens up in Darwin and I said, what's your Christmas tree, Christmas plant? 
No. No, nothing. Nothing. There you go. And now I reckon here's a contentious one because I do know that how you feel about giving plants as gift to gardeners. Mm. Do you reckon that at Christmas you should take the risk of giving a gardener a plant as a gift? <laughs> that was a very big sigh, Jen. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't recommend it, you know, because, you know, gardeners have – they have dreams and schemes and themes, you know, and that plant that you give may not fit that. Mm. It may not fit the soil. It may not fit the aspect. Indoor plants, sure, but not for the garden. Plants are very personal, aren't they? Very personal. Yeah, yeah it, is, it is one of those things. But then I reckon it's also a yardstick of how well you know the gardener because, Jen, if you were to give me a collectible clivier at Christmas, I would say oh, you are the bomb, Jen. Yes, but you and I talk plants all the time. None of my friends talk plants. They just go sort of glaze over their eyes. <laughs> and if they bought me a plant, it would be wrong, even though I've known them practically all my life. They well, still don't know plants. to all of Jen's friends, <laughs> you need to listen a little more when she talks. And you can buy her the perfect plant gift for Christmas. Thank you. So you've managed to sort out your gifts and you've even agreed on some perfect Christmas plants. That means just one thing, time to get down to the serious business of entertaining. Now, you wouldn't take a gardener's word on such an important topic, so we thought we needed to call in the big guns. Dora Pappas is more than someone who knows how to throw an absolute shindig. She's editor of Better Homes and Gardens magazine, an absolute decorating and festive guru, and a foodie to boot. Dora, welcome. Hello, Adam. How are you? I am absolutely fantastic and very glad you could join us because, look, don't trust my advice when it comes to setting a table. Denise will tell you that all the time. I promise I won't take your advice. <laughs> now, look, what it is that time of year where people are getting out there. It, it might not necessarily be a Christmas thing. It could be a family get-together. It could be New Year's, whatever. It's just that time of year where we all love coming together, isn't it? So from your perspective, what are the essential elements of putting together an outdoor get-together? Oh, look, for me, let's let's face it, we're moving into summer. So for me, shade is mm. absolutely important. Now, you may not think of that when you're talking about entertaining, but really you want to make your guests comfortable. So whether it's a pergola, whether it's, um, you know, a market umbrella or whatever it is you've got, make sure you have shade, okay? Yeah, I, th I think that's one that really gets forgotten about. Yeah. I'll tell you a great one that I've found that they used to be really expensive is the the cantilevered umbrellas, yes. you know, where they have the central post and the offset, offset umbrella. Because you could move them around with the sun. So Absolutely. You're not sort of messing around. You just undo a click thing and you turn it around and bang, you've got, you've got sun protection. Absolutely. And you don't need to stick a bolt in the wall or anything like mm. that as you do with shade cloths. But if you've got a shade cloth... Fine. Yeah. And, well, actually, I'll tell you a funny thing. A place we owned a few years back, we were looking at shade cloths as a solution. And I started talking to somebody about it from the perspective of, you know, what would I need to do with a post here and a post there? And ended up finding out that because I would have needed technically what were engineered posts and I was attaching it to the, the house itself, I would have needed council approval. Oh. Yeah. Big really? And it would have needed to have been engineered and had council approval. Now, that's so, a tip. Yeah, so just just do check these things, peeps, Absolutely. before you go go whacking up some shade. So yes, hey, look, one that's really in now are those big bench seats for outdoor dining. What? Where are you with those? Are I'm, you talking about the ones with a back or the ones? No, without the a back? ones that are just like a classic bench. You know, look, no back and. I'm 
okay with them. Now mm. it sort of depends who your guests are. I think they're fine in terms of the they give you a little bit of an informal air to them and let's face it, if you're entertaining outside, it's all informal. Um, and they tuck neatly usually underneath the table mm. so they're great space savers. But I'd also say that you should have some chairs with backs yeah. for, say, people who like to actually lean back in a chair and yeah. I, you would be surprised how many people um, and I've had some recent evidence of this <laughs> who say, mm, haven't you got a chair with a back? Yeah. So, <laughs> and that goes for bar stools as well because these even, days you've it, got those high top bar without, tables. Without, yeah. yeah. And so, if, after a couple of uh, brown mineral waters, they might be forgetting that there's no back. Exactly. And, yeah, you don't want people... Could, Tumbling backwards. Yeah, exactly, mm. exactly. But now, I actually, I saw a, a design the other day that was quite a clever one where down one side of the table and on each end they had the classic backed style yeah. individual chair and then on the other side they had a bench. And I thought that's actually a clever way to do it because, you know, particularly if you've got a lot of kids, yes. the kids can all pack into the, the bench side and then us us oldies that like that support can have the the proper seats on the exactly. other side. And kids you'll find are a little bit more agile and can step over the bench and, yeah, you know, if they've got the middle seat, it's okay. They can get in and out quite quickly whereas yeah. the rest of us are sort of going to shuffle <laughs> along and shuffle everybody <laughs> else it. along. So that's that would be my only yeah. rider. <laughs> so so maybe mix and match is the way to go there. Absolutely. Now, when, when people bring the spread out, you know, lots of food, whether it's come off the barbie or whether it's out of the fridge or whatever the case may be, are you a – on the table kind of person or do you reckon it's better to have a big buffet and then people can fill up and go to their respective seats? Where do you reckon the best way to go is? I'm a buffet kind of gal. Mm. Um, I do like to decorate my table so I'll have a centrepiece, nothing that takes up too much room. Um, the reason I don't like putting um, all the food on the table is because you find you start getting cramped and you're not actually enjoying your food. You can't spread out a little bit. Mm. You're passing food around whereas – if you've got the bar, the buffet, people can just get up and take whatever they want, whenever they want. Mm. They can go back for as many refills as they want and it's it's easy. And in my experience is the sausages you want, you know, the super spicy yes. ones that came from the special butchers, the continental butchers, are always up the other end of the table. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And it either means you have to get up and go and get it yourself or tell Lots of people to pass them along the table. So, yeah. I, like I said, buffet for me, but decorate your table. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to ask. I, I bet you're a fan. You're, you're not. You're not a paper plate and and plastic fork person. You no. Yeah, you like to do it properly. Yes, I like it. I like to do it properly. Yeah. I don't like the paper plates and I don't like the plastic plates. Um, they have their place, but I think these days you can also look to. Um, Melamine plates mm. and the melamine plates are absolutely fantastic both for kids and for older people. Um, and when I say that, they come in fabulous designs. So they're not your plain white that you used to get. Now you're hard-pressed to tell the difference between. Between them, yeah. Yeah, between China and, you I've, know, I've noticed that even even from places like Aldi, they'll have they'll have yep. specials on them and you look at them and you think, they're, they absolutely rock. They're perfect for outdoors. Yeah. You know, some great designs, very contemporary. So, And you yeah. can also get your um, glassware to match. and It's not glass, but you but know what yeah, I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, this is a very serious topic that I don't think gets discussed enough when we talk about these outdoor eating type of situations, but tis the season for food poisoning. 
isn't it? I mean, really, you know, yes. you've got to you've got to be aware of this because the the temperatures are higher. We've got a lot of a lot of bugs and things flying around. Have you got some simple tips for for safe food handling when people are getting their their lunch out or their dinner out there? I think there's a few things. Um, I think you should always have food covers, especially if you've mm. got a buffet. So that's really important. And there's some lovely decorative ones out there. Failing that, a nice clear cloth. Over the top, when I say clear, something that, you know, is fairly transparent so mm. you can see through it so you can see the um, food, but cover it so no flies, okay? That's really important. I think um, once the meal is over, refrigeration, just mm. get it out there. Don't think you're just going to leave it to stew in the sun and then think you're going to eat it later on that night or the next day. Um but during the day also it's worthwhile having eskies around. So anything mm. that's likely to go off, like your seafood, keep it in the esky. Mm. So that's they're probably my three top tips. Yeah, and you can put stuff on beds of ice too. So yes. you, you can have you can have a, a bigger platter with a smaller platter on top and have a bed of ice and help to keep things cool that way. And you like oysters, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have been known to lean towards a bit of seafood every yes. now and then, Dora. <laughs> I do like my prawns, I have to say. The other one too, I was at something a, a while back and they'd, they'd set the buffet up absolutely beautiful but they hadn't thought about the fact that by the time everybody was getting around to it, the sun was falling on it and it was like, you, <laughs> yuck! <laughs> so that's that's one to be aware of too. Yes. Make sure it's make sure it's well and truly in the shade. Um, now, this one is an interesting one too, and it kind of relates to what we were talking about with with that bench seating. Are you someone that likes to have that big, classic, long, lazy lunch and stay at the table, or do you reckon people should have a spot where you can all you know decamp to some comfy chairs and and other places? I think um, it depends on the people and you do tend to find that people break away. So you'll find some will go off and have a snooze, others will go and settle in front of the um, telly. You mentioned uh, Boxing Day. You've got the Boxing Day match. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, all the blokes are in there. Yeah, going into Um, a food coma and uh, watching whatever's on telly. Um, And then others stay at the table. So I think what you need to do is offer... um, options for people so that you don't sort of try and keep them where they don't want to be. Mm. They don't all want to be at the table. Off they go. But personally, I'm a big, long, lazy lunch kind of girl. Yeah. And, yeah. and if, you've got the, if you've got comfortable chairs at the dining yes. table, then it's, yeah. Yes. And it's funny too. I think sometimes when you give people the op- option, they're more inclined to comfortably stay at the table. Exactly. But if you don't give them the option, they sort of sit uncomfortably and want to move somewhere else. You know, exactly. it's, it's a weird thing of human nature, I think. But when you said comfort and staying at the table, I think um, you touched on something there. So make sure you've got nice seat pads or cushions mm, mm. either for the back or for your sitting on um, because that just extends the period that you're likely to spend yeah. outside. Well, and the outdoor cushions now, I mean, it wasn't too long ago they were horrible, scratchy, you know, coarse plastic things, but they're, they're actually – there's some very, very nice outdoor cushions now. There are some fabulous outdoor cushions out there that mm. I – and there's ones that you can buy from the shops and you can even buy um, outdoor fabric these days and sew up your own. And create you, your own. Yeah, oh, that's handy. Yeah. yeah. And the designs are amazing, absolutely amazing. We've got mm. something coming up in the magazine for um, our summer issues and I oh, just – Oh, very good. Oh, I'm just in love with these fabrics. And, There's one in particular. And what do you reckon about lighting? You Are you big on candles? Do you like fixed lighting? I love candles. I think candlelight is really, um, it just, just gives you an atmosphere that nothing else, you just can't buy it. But if you are going to use candles, I always say make sure that 
they're um, in glass, so like yes. hurricane lamps or in mm. bar, you know the va- the vase type vessels. Yes. Yep. Um, and that's because breezes do spring up, and you don't want to be worried about the light going out. Yeah. Um, so that's important. Um, I love fairy lights. Ah, very I'm good. A big very good. fan of you fairy can lights. Come, you can come back again, Dora. Oh, can I? You like fairy lights too. <laughs> Jen's looking at me across the studio with a very evil look, just yes. over your shoulder there, Dora. I know, and I said that on purpose because I know Jen's not a fan of fairy lights, but done my way. <laughs> <laughs> the proper way. <laughs> done well is done what well is what I'm saying. I, and yes. I, I think that is a point that these things can be done in a kitsch way or they're overdone. Absolutely. But done in a discreet and subtle way. They can be they can they be can lovely. Be, well they just add magic. I was I was gonna say too that uh, the LED Replica candles now. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some very, very good ones of those yes. even and they're actually out of a solid wax-like material. Yep. So um, they can be a great way of avoiding that problem of, you know, the exposed the- flames with kids and, and worrying about it blowing out. you just got remember, so to remember to recharge them or put batteries in. But apart from that. <laughs> apart from that. Do you know, I even like the um, the big string lights, you know, with the bigger globes. They're fantastic. Yes, we've got, we've got a big set of those festoon yep. lights at home and it took me a while to find a nice long one because I found a lot of them have smallish globes yes. and they're only, you know, sort of three metres long. And I finally managed to find, because our outdoor area is quite long, yeah. and I finally managed to find a string that was about 12 metres or something long. Oh, good. So that let me put a good few sort of, you know, carnival-style sags into it. And they, nice. they they just add such a nice a nice atmosphere to the place. And they're LED as well, so it means they're low power consumption. And you can, you know, have that very soft white light that's that really nice, warm, Well, that's what I was going to say. Feel. If yeah. you're ever going to use outdoor lights, make sure it's warm lights. Well, mm-hmm. that's my tip. It's awful. If, well, I need to be very careful what I say. Some people might like the it's, blue light. It's a bit stark. It's a bit stark. Yeah, I think yeah. the warm light just adds so much more ambience. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, before we let you go, what is a dish that you reckon is a must-have for the Christmas feast, that, you know, or for that for that seasonal feast for across the period? What's something that you just absolutely have to have on the table? Do I have to stick to one because I've got three? Okay, give us three. Okay. That's even better. Your glazed ham. <laughs> got to have your glazed ham. Yes. Okay, absolute winner. And you can graze, you know, for three or four days on that afterwards, maybe even longer. Um, I think prawns. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just a winner. Yeah. Lay down as air. If you've got the time, you can peel them for people. Otherwise, you know, make sure you've got lots of little water bowls and ice and lemon floating around. Um, and the other thing is a pav. Can't go wrong with a pav. I still love a good pav, yes. aren't they? Realistically, they're very simple too, aren't they? That they are. They are a good dish, and they're just they're just so. You can Yum. do you can do two things. You can either make your own from scratch, and pe- some people might think they're a little bit hard. They're absolutely not. They're so easy, so so easy to make and to decorate. All you need is cream, <laughs> cream and fruit, <laughs> cream and fruit. <laughs> now you, you cannot go wrong. <laughs> but if you think you can, just buy the base pre pre um, made from the supermarkets, and, then and you'll be fine. And then fill it up. Decorate yeah. to your heart's content. Yeah, and the beauty of the pav is that that basically there's there's no restrictions on what you want. It's whatever your taste is, that's the fruit you put into exactly. it. Exactly. I'm a big mango and passion fruit lover. Oh, look, 
Dora, you are coming back again. There's no which way about it. We, we love the same. We love the same paths. You like fairy lights. That's it. <laughs> and I don't mind bench seats either. You don't mind bench seats. Well, Dora, thank you so much. I, I now have no excuse whatsoever for making a, a mess of my Christmas and, and uh, summer entertaining. So thank you very much for joining us. And thank you for having me. Gardening by the Moon with Milton Black. Hi, Milton. How's it going? Oh, busy again, uh, Jen, at this stage because Christmas is upon us and there's still time to jump into the garden and do lots of little works and things like that. And particularly, you know, this couple of days before Christmas, I mean, everybody's out shopping and going to town, doing their things, but it's still a good time to pop into the garden, especially on the 24th and even up to Christmas morning on the 25th. Excellent. But, um, but it's not a planting time, so you don't have to worry about getting out there and planting because the moon is in its last quarter at the moment, up until the new moon on the 26th, that's Boxing Day. Mm-hmm. So this period, if you don't want to go into the garden, that's fine. But if you want to just go and do a quick spray around the place, a little bit of fertilising, get rid of all the bugs and things of that nature, uh, no planting, just tidying up. And also, this is a great time to harvest things too. So if you've got some nice uh, vegetables there that you want to bring up for Christmas uh, or for the, the festive season, you just go out and harvest them over these days of the 23rd and 24th, the day before Christmas, mm-hmm. and you'll have nice uh, nice vegetables coming up there. Now, there's the new moon on um, Boxing Day right. at 7.45 in the morning in Capricorn. Good sign, Capricorn. It's a very fertile sign. Well, we don't plant on that day, of course, mm-hmm. but uh, the, the moon enters uh, Aquarius on the 27th, and it's in there on the 28th and 29th. So you may as well say, after you've had your festive uh, season there of big lunches and dinners and things like that, just relax and just uh, do a little bit of weeding and fiddling around in the garden. But you don't have to do any real work um, in the garden over those 27, 28 and 29th days because the moon's in Aquarius and it's it's basically a, a no-no planting time. But um, you can transplant on the 30th and uh, that's because on the 31st, the moon enters into Pisces, which is a very, very fertile sign. And we've got the new moon, which we had on the 26th. So the moon's starting to wax up now. And of course, consequently, transplant on the 30th and you can plant above ground crops again uh, on the 31st because that's uh, the moon and Pisces, very, very fertile sign. And you can also plant above ground crops on Wednesday because the moon is in Pisces and uh, the moon enters in Aries on Thursday the 2nd at 2pm. So you've got right up till 2 o'clock on Thursday mm-hmm. to uh, plant above ground crops. So that's that's a good cycle. You've got a bit of mixture for this week. Yeah, yeah. Now, the, the, first, the first quarter of the moon is in Aries on Friday the 3rd. So that's a no-no day. Um, you can pot around the gun, but no planting at all. And neither do you plant on uh, Saturday the 4th. But one thing you can do is save all your energy for Sunday. It's a great gardening day, Sunday on the um, the 5th of uh, January because the moon is in Taurus, very semi-fertile sign, and you can do your above-ground crops during that particular cycle. So it's a a bit of a mixed uh, period. So you've got Christmas off and you've got the festive season for harvesting. You've also got um, uh, opportunities there to uh, do a little bit of cleaning up in your garden. But who wants to work over the festive season? Anyhow, most people want to sort of sit back. But don't forget... 
that garden needs water over the, uh, the festive season, particularly if the weather's hot and there's no rain. So don't forget to give it a good water, and that way you'll still have your crops running into the new year looking pretty good. Yeah, so yeah. that's the gardening side. But um, incidentally, Jenny, yes, what's the difference between Kim Cardassian and the moon? Well, I'll tell you. Okay. You have to put a lot more effort into see the moon's backside. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, Milton. Okay. Fantastic. We'll see you next time. Take care. Well, that was another great episode, Jen. I just want to rush out into the garden myself. Oh, I'm not stopping you. Off you go. <laughs> Adam, where can people find you? They can find me in the garden or they, oh. can, they can look me up on YouTube. Just search Adam Woodham and I'll pop up there, no problem at all, or on Instagram, of course. And if you want more garden inspiration before the next episode, you can pick up the latest copy of Better Homes and Gardens magazine at selected supermarkets and news agencies. So we'll see you next time, Jen. You bet. Bye-bye now. <laughs> 